Welcome to the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations Interviews Podcast, a series of brief conversations with leading China experts on key issues in the Sino-American relationship. For more interviews, videos, and links to events, visit us at www.ncuscr.org. This is Steve Orlins, President of the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations, and I'm thrilled to be joined by Sumi Terry. She is now the director of the Hyundai Motor Korea Foundation Center for Korean History and Public Policy at the Wilson Center, which I, is actually a recent job. You recently moved over there. She is one of America's foremost experts on Korea. Even though she has not previously participated in a national committee program, I feel like I know her because I see her on MSNBC all the time. So I'm in my home and I feel like she has been in my home many times. But welcome and thank you so much for, for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. We just had an election in a very close election in Korea. Talk about the implications of the Korean elections for both Korea's policy towards China, towards North Korea, and the United States. Sure. I mean, implications uh, is significant. President-elect Yoon has campaigned on strong alliance with the U.S., tougher approach towards Beijing and North Korea. And he also said he wanted to restore frayed relations with Japan. And that's also very important, of course. And the Yun administration, well, the incoming administration, has made it clear that the alliance uh, between the United States and South Korea is really going to be the centerpiece of their policy, foreign, foreign policy. And they want to, of course, expand the alliance beyond security and defense to more comprehensive alliance. That would be, and but that would be the case for whoever becomes next president, right? Even if there was the other guy, Lee uh, Jae-myung, uh, you know, South Korea has been seeking more broader expanded cooperation with the United States and, you know, to go beyond security to, to issues ranging from AI, big data, quantum computing, 5G, aerospace, they call it technological alliance, cooperation of vaccines, therapeutics, nuclear energy. So that, that is not so different. I think that would have been the case um, with whoever becomes next South Korean president. But I think with Yoon, where we will see some difference will be South Korea's policy towards neighbors and of course, North Korea. South Korea has been in recent years pursuing what they call a balancing or a hedging policy between US and China. But the incoming UN administration vowed to shift Seoul's position vis-a-vis China. They have sent senior advisors to Washington just in recent weeks. And and the, the message that they convey, this transition team conveyed to senior US policymakers is that South Korea's strategic ambiguity policy is now going to be over. You know, they, in fact, it's the South Korean, the incoming UNO administration advisors, they called current South Korea policy towards China one of, one of accommodation and appeasement. This is South Korean words, it's their phrase. So now they are seeking a relationship with China that's more built on mutual respect. They, they said they want it to be more equal on reciprocal basis, but they do also expect what this means is that they might have a rocky road ahead uh, in South Korea's relationship with Beijing. So the message that the Yoon advisors is really conveying to Washington and is asking the US 
um, is to really help South Korea in the face of future non-military threats from China to combat economic coercion and use of Beijing's economic statecraft, right? Um, and to come up with remedies. And it's because they are bracing themselves in a way for another round of sanctions, like we've seen in 2017, when China uh, sanctioned South Korea over that deployment. So when if, if incoming UN administration decides to deploy additional that in South Korea in response to North Korea's provocations, they're concerned that China is going to act. Um, and so they're trying to sort of find a way, uh, trying to find a remedy to this. I would also say, though, uh, I think there's two things that I just want to also note is one thing that's very interesting that's going on in South Korea is shifting public sentiment on China. Many recent polls, and I can cite you, many recent polls that indicate public perception on China is worsening, right? Um, while actually a public perception of the United States is pretty positive, and even Japan, it's getting better. So there's that element. But then I do want to caveat everything I've said on South Korea's policy toward China with just one caveat is that while incoming unit administration will be tougher on China and of course North Korea, um, one caveat that I do want to note is that the reality on the ground that they cannot ignore is that South Korea, you know, China is still South Korea's number one trading partner. Right. South Korea's trade volume with China uh, reaches over uh, $300 billion annually, uh, which is equivalent to trade volume with US, Japan, and Europe together. In 2020, I think South Korea's economic dependence um, on China was like 85%. So, it, so basically, the trade with China makes up about a third of trade for South Korea. So that is a real reality on the ground. So we will have to see how much that this incoming administration will be able to implement um, this new China policy. I, I understand that incoming President Yoon and the administration is very vocal, uh, but we'll just we'll have to so wait and see so whether what, they can should, implement that. The inauguration is May 9th? Yes. What specific policies should we be expecting? Um, you know, as I was going to ask about, you know, the trade, you know, it's a, it's the biggest export market by far for Korean businesses, obviously responsible for enormous amounts of employment in Korea. There are tons of, of Korean students in China studying Chinese, and yet public perceptions, as you correctly point out, are of China are dropping. But what specific policies should we expect from the UN administration? with respect to China. How does this get implemented into kind of a real policy? Except saying we're gonna cooperate with the United States. Okay, but what does that mean? I think at least uh, President-elect Yoon will be more vocal about China issues than current President Moon. Uh, you know, he did say he will increase cooperation with democracies, especially, especially the US and reduce autocracies. He's been critical about Moon Jae-in's Moon Jae-in being very quiet on human rights issues in China. So I think at least there'll be more, there'll be more, you know, he'll be more vocal uh, about some things. Um, I would, I also think that, you know, they talked about joining Quad, they talking about improving relationship with tri trilateral relationship with Japan. So in that sense, you know, they were at least um, perception wise, I think China might get a little bit agitated because there will be that kind of, at least some maneuvering uh, going on in, in that way. Um, also, 
you know, I mentioned that deployment. It really depends on how North Korea behave is in, in the coming months and, you know, in the rest of the year. If the provocations really increase, uh, I think, you know, even deploying additional, that is a real possibility. So these are things that China is certainly not going to like. Again, I say there is economic reality and that that economic reality will still constrain President-elect Yoon in terms of how much they can really do with China. But I did mention that the public perception has really soured on China. So I do expect in terms of policy, I do expect that Beijing will find more assertive South Korea in the coming diplomatic talks. Just, just you know, just, just the even the way they will, you know, the whole atmosphere will be still different, right? Because they will have to deal with more assertive South Korea in the coming diplomatic talks. And it is also still very possible that the UN administration will, at least in the short term, find opportunities to, let's say, to ensure critical industries are removed from the Chinese and Russian influence, such as energy, microchips, medic you know, medications. There will be some, some policy steps that the UN administration take that Beijing is just not going to be happy with. Now, do you think the Chinese understand that FAD thermal high altitude um, defense system is directed against North Korea, not directed against China? Did the Chinese, first of all, I guess the first question, is it? The second question, and I think it is, but I'll ask you that. And the second, did the Chinese understand that it's not directed against them? I really think they, they, they must, but the way they act is that they act like they don't understand it, right? So I don't understand their overreaction and them um, sanctioning South Korea in 2017 over this. That would really, it was the sort of, this is what made the public start turning against China, South right. Korean public. So I think they really overplayed their hand there uh, in terms of, or overreacted. Um, but so in theory, I, I would like to think that they understand that this is really directed to North Korea and not China, but their, their actions show me that they don't understand that. Otherwise, why would they sanction South Korea? I wanted to say, hey, you guys are sanctioning the wrong Korea. Sanction North Korea, right? For creating the situation so, where yes. that need to be deployed. Right. Um, and they sanction the company in which the, where the, the I guess Lotte, the system right. was placed. Yes, so Latte. Right. You mentioned the Quad. You think the South Koreans will end up joining the Quad? Well, they certainly express interest in joining Quad, but it's actually not that easy because Japan is not quite on board with that right now. I think India, there's a pushback. So there's a little bit of a pushback from Japan, pushback from India. I think there's willingness to join Quad from South Korea, but it really depends on other members. So I think what would happen is at least initially, um, you know, they will join informally with these informal work working groups on whole host of issues they'll cooperate on, even though they don't formally join Quad. So kind of it will be a loose association, which actually might be better for their relations with China. China initially was kind of indifferent to the Quad. They now have, have come to be uh, very strongly opposed to Quad and have recently been making analogies to uh, NATO expansion is what the Quad, NATO expansion to Russia is what the Quad is to China, which is- Right, so I think probably for the Yun, incoming UN administration, that might not be a bad play because they say, we want to join Quad, 
But then, okay, it's really Japan and India and others are just saying slow down. So we'll be happy to join informally. So they score points about their willingness to join, but then they don't upset China. And then Japan and India, everybody's okay. And then they at least still work with everybody on more info, informally on whole host of issues. So that might not be how, you know, it might not be a bad play. I think that's how it's gonna work out in the next couple of so, years. As you said, the China should, China should be sanctioning the North Koreans. Obviously, they are to some degree, they still abide by the UN sanctions, not by American sanctions. Talk about North Korean behavior recently and the potential for another uh, nuclear test. You know, how long has the moratorium on nuclear tests been in effect? It's been quite a while since they've done a test. So talk about the ICBMs that got launched and, you know, the potential there for a new test. Yeah, I definitely think a new nuclear test is coming. It's been, you know, since 2017, there was no nuclear test. Uh, but what the North Koreans like to do is cut the salami really thin, right? So this is why they, we, they've been testing a whole lot of weapons uh, in recent months. Um, so so it is, uh, it's certainly, you should certainly expect it. Uh, North Korea has recently tested a missile for the first time that, had, that, that they announced that what they described it as tactical nuclear, uh, what tactical nukes delivery role, right? So they're moving ahead. And I think very likely, I mean, I, as a North Korea watcher would, would say, um, it's very likely that they were, they were trying to test on tactical nuclear weapons. Um, and, you know, what's motivating the North Koreans, you know, there are a number of factors, right? First, I would say they, they're genuinely interested in diversifying uh, their nuclear, uh, missile and nuclear arsenal. Um, and, you know, and then I would say also the external environment, I think is actually looking pretty good for North Korea. And why I say this is because with the whole Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and then you have US-China deterioration of that relationship, that actually sets up this external, external environment uh, for North Korea. Uh, to test and sort of get away with it because China is very unhelpful right now. Um, you know, uh, so, you know. Un unhelpful to restraining to the United North States. Korea. I'm sorry, yeah, they're very, Chinese have, have been unhelpful to the United States because North Korea tested an ICBM and United Nations Security Council couldn't even come up with a condemnation. Uh, so of course, this is what I mean by, I think it sets up North Koreans quite nicely because they could test something and I don't think anybody would really, United Nations is not gonna even really act on it. Um, and Washington, of course, the Biden administration is distracted, um, understandably so with this Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So, and with Russia and China not being helpful the UNSC and with Washington being distracted and North Korea is already on this path, on this path of trying to diversify, modernize and expand their nuclear and missile arsenal. So, you know, I'm I'm very concerned that they're just going to go ahead and continue to expand, and there's not much that anybody can really do about it. And more escalation will be co coming in the coming weeks and coming months. Um, you know, Kim Jong Un. One thing about North Korea is that they're very good about telling the world what they're going to do. And Kim Jong Un already gave us a very detailed speech on January 2021 on North Korea's modernization objectives. They said they want to advance their capability. And the testing is the only way to do that. 
That's the only way for them to learn by either succeeding or failing. And they are looking for more survivable, credible threat, right? Multiple reentry vehicles, multiple warheads on a single missile, longer range ICBMs. So they can test Hwasong 17 in the coming weeks. They can test a uh, ballistic uh, nuclear submarine. They can test a, nuclear, a tactical nuclear weapon, multiple independent uh, uh, reentry vehicles. Um, you know, and of course, they will have serious and negative implications for South Korea and the US. So I'm very concerned about this. How close is the testing facility to China? I mean, it's, it's, it's such a, North Korea itself is a small country. So I would say it's close to China, you know? Uh, Punggeri is very close to China, but even if it's not there, it's just- my, my, my understanding is that the facility itself for the testing has deteriorated over time. Right. And that the test, and it's less than a hundred kilometers. So it's, it's not, it's really close. Yeah. And that there will be significant uh, radioactive leakage from another test, which will be dangerous for China. So isn't it actually dangerous for China too? No, I mean, China does not like it. It does not like it. But my question is, what would get South Korea, uh, North Korea to stop? Well, if China cut China, them off- China, that could, would... China didn't even react to the ICBM test. Yeah. Um, if, now Liu Xiaoming, uh, the special envoy of China, former ambassador to uh, the UK and ambassador to North Korea from China, um, visited the United States recently. What was that about? Well, I was sitting in that meeting. Um, you know, he he held a roundtable at Brookings uh, with some Korea watchers, and the you know he he wanted to get a sense of what what we all thought about North Korea and the situation with North Korea. But here was here was my takeaway from that conversation: China is not going to be helpful in the coming weeks and months uh, or years on North Korea. That was the takeaway that I got. Um, and you know, I think why? even what, what was his why? because we even talked one. about like what is your red line? We talked about this. Like we talked about like, hey, you you guys didn't react to an ICBM test. What is your red line? And they say, well, what is Washington's red line? So the sense I got is that even a nuclear test is not going to be a red line for Beijing. Meaning they're going to that's going to somehow make China really crack down on North Korea. And you know, there's a usual a lot of conversation about a lot of points that he made about how U.S. has to give up our hostile double standard policy towards North Korea and so on. You know, you've heard this a hundred times. So it's U.S.'s problem. We are, we're hostile. We have double standard. We have to understand North Korea. And so the sense I got from his visit is that China is not going to put pressure on North Korea. China is not going to be helpful at all on North Korea. That's the sense I got. Is it about their view of our North Korea policy or is it about just the increasing tension generally in US-China relations? That the days, you know, a decade ago, uh, we did have a slightly more cooperative relationship with China with respect to North Korea. The six party talks obviously 
you know, the Chinese were part of the six parties. That's why I kind of said, well, why? Is this because just general deterioration in the relationship? Or is this because of our North Korea policy where they believe we should kind of reward North Korea for this moratorium and give them more carrots than sticks? Well, they always believe that. They always thought that we should give North Koreans more uh, carrots than sticks and we should pursue more of an engagement policy towards North Korea. But I do think it's this particular stance has more to do with the existing US-China rivalry. We don't even have to go back to decades. We can just go to 2017. We actually got China to help us and do more on North Korea in 2017. Under maximum pressure policy, we did see China actually implementing sanctions. You know, a lot of Korea watchers were very surprised by that because we thought, oh, China is never going to do it. But China did. China did implement sanctions. They were uh, pressuring North Korea. But that's 2017. That's pre-summitry, pre-diplomacy, you know, pre-Trump Kim summits, and pre-Xi Jinping Kim Jong-un summits. 2017, 2022 is a very different year than 2017. Right. In 2017, Xi Jinping has never met with Kim Jong-un, even though he has met with South Korean president multiple times. Former President Park Geun-hye came to Beijing. Xi Jinping visited South Korea, never met with Kim Jong-un. China was actually even unhappy with Kim for a whole host of reasons, for, for starting from, you know, assassinating Chang Song-tak, the second most powerful man in North Korea, uncle to Kim Jong-un, uh, who was a conduit to China uh, between Pyongyang and Beijing, for assassination of Kim Jong-nam, his half-brother, who was under the protection of China, for the nuclear tests and missile tests that were destabilizing the region. So China actually was, you know, Xi Jinping, I don't think was happy with Kim Jong-un, and they were doing more in 2017. But again, what has happened since then is Xi Jinping has met with Kim Jong-un, what, four times, four, five times. And the relationship between China and Washington being what it is, it's all tied together. And I just don't think it's realistic for us, you know, for us to just think that somehow China is going to step in and help us on North Korea. And how has Russia's invasion of Ukraine affected the whole calculation, both you know, Kim's calculation and then the incoming UN administration's calculation. How is it, is that going to affect Korea, North, South Korea, China relations? Well, I think Kim Jong-un has, he's, he, he drew all kinds of very unhelpful lesson uh, from Russia's invasion of Ukraine, uh, just like it, it, it drew wrong lessons from Iraq and Libya. Their leaders who give up nuclear weapons a program uh, are at serious risk of being overthrown and killed. And, and that lesson from Iraq and Libya, you know, it's been only reinforced by the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Just because less than two months after North Korea signed the agreed framework, the bilateral agreement with the United States in October 1994. Ukraine, right, you remember, along, along with Belarus and um, Kazakhstan, agreed to give up nuclear weapons under the Budapest Memorandum. And, you know, in return, the other signatories of this agreement, right, U.S., Britain, and Russia, promised a guarantee of territorial integrity of these states, you know. So, yet, look what happened. You know, 2014, uh, Putin invaded Ukraine, annexed Crimea in 2022. In, right now, 2022, situation is even well, so, so that's, so it's not like Kim Jong-un was going to ever give up nuclear weapons. North Korea was not. But I'm concerned that it's like even more so, like if, if he could even more be committed to holding on to nuclear weapons, 
um, there is that. Um, and then as I mentioned, like the second, what I mentioned earlier in our conversation, um, it's, it's just, again, this environment then in a strange way is helpful for North Korea because the world is distracted. China and Russia is not gonna be helpful, the North Korea question and so on. So I believe North Korea actually has a wide open pathway to further escalation without any kind of fear of serious consequences to that. And then I guess with South Korea, it's kind of interesting, um, the kind of lesson they would draw from this is though they, I think it's, it, it reinforced though, a positive thing that reinforced is that we, we need to rely on each other. Uh, this um, alliance matters, you know, at least that's what the, the incoming UN administration advisors have said that at least that's a positive message that they got. It's like, listen, you can't be alone. You know, look, Ukraine is getting all this help from US and NATO and European allies. So it's these alliances matter. Um, and so that's at least a good thing that came out of this whole Russia's invasion of Ukraine in terms of the different messages that North Korea got and South Korea and South Korea got out of it. Are people, I had an interesting conversation yesterday about you know, the effect of Ukraine on the Taiwan contingency. One of the interesting pieces of data that came out is initial polling suggests people in Taiwan have become more feel, fearful. This is just a perception issue that kind of they thought wars like this were part of the 20th century. This wouldn't happen in the 21st century. Are people in South Korea becoming more yeah. fearful um, based upon Russia's invasion of right. Ukraine, which the Taiwan people, the polling suggests that it's happening in Taiwan? I don't think South Korea, well, the South Korean public is sophisticated enough to understand that South Korea is not Ukraine, right? And North Korea is not Russia yet, uh, or far from it. North Korea is 198th ranked economy in the world. It's, it, it, it does not have the kind of, it's, you know, so I don't think South Koreans are worried about that. Although there is a lingering concern about just letting North Korea continue to develop nuclear weapons, because the message, one of the messages that's coming out is putting threat of use of nuclear weapons is sort of deterring the United States or our European allies to do more in other ways because we're so afraid of being dragged into the war. So, so North Koreans are getting the message, okay, we really, really need the nuclear weapons, not only as a deterrence, but we can use, you know, use them to make threats and that has benefits. Um, so I think South Koreans are concerned, not necessarily about the war, but just allowing North Koreans to just continually expand their nuclear program. So they worry about more in the future and how North Korea might use nuclear weapons sort of as, not only as a deterrence, right? It's as a deterrent card, but we use them to make threats the kind of threats like Putin is making. Mm -hmm. for, so I think that's more of a concern from the South Korean perspective. It's extraordinary that after President Yoon is in office for less than 14 days, he will be hosting the President of the United States. I, I don't recall many instances where a, a newly elected leader is in office such a short time will be uh, hosting and he, obviously President Biden will be going to Seoul. He'll also be going to Tokyo. Uh, what should we expect to come out of those meetings? 
I think, you know, they will have a very positive message about how Washington and Seoul are aligned. Um, and they now, you know, the, how the alliance relationship is the linchpin, uh, the foundation for uh, both of their foreign policies, how they're going to expand the uh, uh, relationship to go beyond security to this technological alliance, um, comprehensive alliance, very future-oriented uh, alliance. The UN administration, the incoming UN administration like to now call themselves, they say, well, we want South Korea to be like GPS, right? Global pivotal state, or uh, you know, not just a, a country that's just only focused on North Korea. And so the message that we're gonna to try to um, convey or this message that, that, that's gonna come out is that South Korea and the United States, the two allies have large agenda and they're going to be partners. Um, and now South Korea is gonna be, wants to have more of a regional and global role um, that it's not, it's foreign policy is just not gonna be so just fixated on dealing with North Korea or just China and Japan um, that they're, so, you know, or, or I think it's gonna be a pretty positive message on alliance and on, on all the things that the allies can do together. How will they talk about China? You know, um, I think the U.S. understands that even though the UN administration and President-elect Yoon has been saying strong things about China, or more strong than the current administration, uh, we're not going to put South Korea in a very uncomfortable situation. This is just the first meeting. So they will say maybe some, some, some broad language to just sort of address the regional issues. But I don't think the US is gonna somehow say, first thing you do South Korea is now have to come out and really crack down on China. So the usual language uh, about you know, peace and stability in the region, how you value and, and so on. So, I, But I don't think we're gonna be necessarily pushing the new administration to just go hard on China right away. Does the business community in South Korea push the government to not take a very harsh stand vis-a-vis -vis China in the fear that their business will be cut off? I don't know if there's necessarily a pressure kind of thing. I think the South Korean government until now just naturally understood to not try to provoke China. And look, I mean, this whole bad incident and the sanctioning of South Korean companies that was just a wake up call for the government, the businesses and the people. So I think that message, the government does not have to tell, or the business people does not have to tell the government. Everybody understand what China is going to do because China already did it. That's sort of the, but, but as I said, there has been a negative repercussion to China behaving this way, um, including negative public perception about China. So what's interesting is the pressure on the government could actually come from the public who's actually very, uh, increasingly unhappy with China. So to take a tougher position rather right. than that. Right. Uh, you say, well, it's true in the United States, the polling in the United States has dropped precipitously in terms of perceptions of China. And the Congress reflects that, and that as does the administration. But this 30 minutes has flown by. This has been an incredible education for me. I'm sure it will be a terrific education for our viewers, but thank you so much for joining us. So happy to welcome you. Well, to congratulate you on being part of the Wilson Center and to welcome you to your first of what I hope is many National Committee on US-China Relations programs. So thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you for having me on. For more interviews, videos, and links to events like this one, visit us at www.ncuscr.org.